I never dreamed how much I would actually enjoy podcasting. When it was first suggested to me, I'll be honest, I was a bit intimidated by the thought. But when I found Anchor, I quickly realized how easy this was going to be. Anchor provides me with the tools to record and edit right within their program. I don't need additional software. I didn't even need to know how to distribute the podcast because they do it all for me. I would not be where I am today as a podcaster without Anchor. It's all you need and completely free. If you are looking to get started, download the Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started. In today's world, the word narcissism is extremely common. It is getting thrown around in so many ways. It's all over the place in social media and TV and blog posts and podcasts. Like it's all over everywhere. It's in relationships and homes, places of business, school. Victims identify it in their abusers, but now abusers are throwing it back at the victims. The word narcissism is being used by so many that have no idea what it even means. They get mad at someone and immediately call them a narcissist. They don't like their opinion or they have a small disagreement and the word narcissist comes flying out. Many targets of narcissistic abuse come to therapy asking if they are the narcissist, trying desperately to get a hold of reality, to figure out their role in the nightmare. Especially with covert narcissism, even those living in the abuse are struggling to make sense out of it. They see it every single day of their lives and still wonder if they are the problem. Therapists, counselors, psychologists, experts in the field are trying to get on top of this staggering rise in narcissism and the confusion that is running with it. Lawyers and mediators, they struggle to find out reality with those they are working with. Judges are so overwhelmed by all of this that many of them do not even allow the word narcissist or narcissism to be used in their courts anymore. Side by side with this is a rise in the use of the word codependency. This is another word that's being thrown around and is often misunderstood and misused. Some lay it all on the victim saying, well, it's your fault that you allowed all this abuse. It's your codependent issue. This only adds to the confusion that so many victims are already suffering from. Others get defensive and they label this victim blaming, standing up for those who have found themselves trapped in abusive relationships and are just trying to make the best of it. Some people really relate to the codependency issue and they find a lot of healing in exploring that path and I would never take that away from them. However, others are powerfully repulsed by it. This all gets extremely chaotic and confusing, and I would like to share my view on codependency with you today. I'm Renee Swanson, your host of the Covert Narcissism Podcast. This is a resource for clarity and awareness on a topic that is so hard to grasp. Putting the impossible into words is part of my mission. Before we get started, I want to make sure you know that registration is now open for the next round of group coaching. This six-week program is a culmination of all the work that I have been doing for many years. Covert narcissism is impossible to explain to anyone who doesn't get it, who has never lived it. Trying to explain it to them will make you feel crazy. 
You feel petty and trivial, which leads to defensiveness and even more self-doubt. In these group sessions, you connect with nine other victims who get it. No need to over-explain. No need to defend yourself before you ever even start talking. No need to guard yourself feeling like you don't matter. These groups offer a life-changing amount of validation and clarity. Finally, you are no longer alone in this world. It's a place to find those who get it. These groups do fill up, so do not hesitate to grab your spot. It's first come, first served. I have four groups starting in August. Tuesday mornings, Tuesday afternoons, Saturday mornings, and Saturday evenings. Saturday evenings is a brand new offer. It's intended for those who are overseas from me here in the U.S., and they need a better time for their time zone. For more information and to register for your place in the group, visit www.covertnarcissism.com. And don't worry, your credit card statement will not have the word narcissism on it. All of this ends up connecting through my other website, which is cnglifecoaching.com. That's CNG as in Covert Narcissism Group. Now let's get back to today's topic. Here is what I think of codependency. Codependency is built on good traits, but they go too far. Let me explain what I mean. You see, it's not a bad thing to be willing to forgive other people. It's not a bad thing to give people the benefit of the doubt. It's not a bad thing to be able to overlook the faults of others. It's not a bad thing to be willing to do more than your fair share of the work, to care and to want help and want to help others when they are in need. It's not a bad thing to be willing even sometimes to put down your own needs for a little bit. It's not a bad thing to be self-reflective and to work to improve your own weaknesses. These are good traits. These are things that I teach my kids to do and that I hope that they will be. And I even, in fact, hope that, that someday they'll pass them on to my grandchildren. I see these traits in me, and I am happy about it. I like this about me. I like that I'm willing to forgive other people and that I'm willing to give people the benefit of the doubt, that I'm willing to do more than my fair share of the work. These are things that I like in me, and I think the world needs more of this. They are certainly not bad traits. However, they are easily abused. They are easily manipulated and taken advantage of. And then these good traits, they go too far. And that's when they fall into the realm of codependency. You see, these good traits with no boundaries against manipulative people become what the world calls codependency. So it's okay to want to have these good traits. It's okay to protect them. It's okay to be proud of them. But... You need to protect them, you need to value them, and you you need to learn to put boundaries up around them. Let's go through a couple of very specific examples to really show you what I'm talking about. To care and want to help others when they are in need and to be willing to put your own needs aside for this. That is not a bad thing. I'm willing to put my needs aside if I've got a friend in dire need at the time, like, like they really need the help right now. Maybe their car is broken down and they're stranded or whatever, but they need my help right now. And even though I just fixed dinner and it's sitting on the table, I'm willing to put that dinner aside to go help that friend. And I don't want to change that about me. I like that I'm willing to do that. 
It's a good thing to want to help others. However, this trait can absolutely go too far. When you are with a covert narcissist, your own desire to help them very quickly becomes you are now doing everything for them. You see, you, you want to help them. You want to love them and care for them. And you want to, to help them to work through some of the issues that they're having. But, but see, they're kind of a, they're a bottomless pit. And now you're pouring in this energy to try to help them. And it's never going to be enough. But you're not realizing that. You know, maybe early on in the relationship, you don't realize that. And so you just try harder. Why do we try harder? Because we're self-reflective people and we want to improve. And so we work harder at it. We get better at it. And then the next thing we know, we are now fulfilling every role in their life. What do I mean by that? When you're with a covert narcissist, the roles that you play for them, parent, to a full-grown adult, to your partner, caregiver, therapist, decision-maker, cheerleader, emotional validator, babysitter, social planner, mind reader. Not only are you fulfilling all of these roles for them, but you feel obligated to do so. You know, you might even kind of ask yourself, well, if I don't, who will? Who will take care of them? They clearly are not capable of doing it themselves. So who will help them? If I don't do it, nobody will. And I've done it for so long. How can I possibly just stop doing it now? That feels kind of mean. You know, that would just, that would be mean of me to do that. And I'm not a mean person. I don't identify as a mean person. Add to this confusion, obligation, anytime that you have not fulfilled one of these roles in their lives, they take it out on you. Have you ever felt that way or been through that? You know, if we went to a, a church social and he did not have a good time for whatever reason, I paid the price for it when we got back home. His hurt and angry feelings set the tone for the rest of the night in the house and everyone was miserable. He would sulk around the house, clearly upset and mad. He'd get really short and snappy with his words. He would guard dog the boys looking for anything to jump on them about and then just pounce. And his pounce would not match whatever it was they had just done. It was such a huge overreaction to the crime or supposed crime that they just committed. It was horrible. So I very quickly learned to play the role of making sure he had a good time at any social event that we went to. I worked hard at this. I worked hard to include him in conversations that were going on with his friends. You know, when the guys would typically, you know, they'd sit around maybe in one circle chatting while the women maybe sat around in a different part of the room and they were chatting. That was kind of a normal structure when you're in an adult setting like this. I would join the guys just to help him be a part of the conversation. And it usually actually worked just fine because I got really good at it. But I would, I would include him. Like I would, I would listen to the conversation and my mind searching for ways to include my own husband in the conversation. And then I would steer it in a way that I knew he could join in on. I don't think he had any idea that I was doing all of this work, but I was doing it. And I sacrificed years of time with my own girlfriends, excluding myself from their activities just to babysit my husband. 
we find ourselves pouring everything we have into this other person in all these roles that we play, all of our energy and time and effort, everything, until you find yourself completely exhausted. I had absolutely nothing left in my tank. In fact, I did not know that that level of exhaustion even existed. I was spent. Because this good trait of wanting to help a person that I loved was taken advantage of and abused. It simply went too far. Again, there is nothing wrong with wanting to help someone. I stand by my desire to be a helpful person. However, there is a difference between helping someone and doing it all for them. And I catapulted over that line. Just recently, I heard a really good analogy for this. If someone is down deep in a well, let's say they're, they're trapped, they're stuck down in this deep well, and I want to help them, I feel for them and I want to help them. I might go get a real tall ladder for them and put it down in that well. I might grab a flashlight. I might even go get some water for them. And I can climb down that ladder. I can give them a hug and give them some encouragement. I can give them that water and make sure that they're, you know, that they're safe, that they're healthy. But I can't make them climb the ladder. I cannot actually put them on the ladder and force them to do it. And I certainly cannot carry them up the ladder. I definitely am not going to stay in the well with them, which is sometimes what we do. We stay down there with them because we feel like that's our way of helping them. And now we're stuck down in the well with them. I can show them how to use the ladder, but the actual work is up to them. I will go back up the ladder and take care of me. That's where the difference lies between helping and trying to do everything for them. I can provide the tools, I can help them, I can offer support and a hug and some water and some encouragement, but they get to pick whether they go up that ladder or not. I am not going to stay down in that well with them. Helping does not mean doing it all for them. Helping does not mean fixing everything. Now, I am a fixer. I can fix anything. That's my personality. And so I dug in to fix this broken marriage. I did everything to try to help him to be happy, to feel loved. I changed so much about me just to try to please him. I dropped many of my friendships so that he had more of my attention. I quit doing things, you know, anything with these friends so that I was home with him. I changed how I talked to him, trying to be so incredibly uplifting and gentle. I did all the work around the house, inside and out, so that he didn't have to do anything because it was the way I ended up trying to, you know, fix this. I came up with activities for him to do with his boys, set it all up, made the plans, put the boys in a good mood in hopes that it would all go well. And then I stayed involved with them to continue monitoring those moods. Anything I could do to help fix this broken environment in our home. This is exhausting and not sustainable. This was my desire to be a helpful person and a caring and compassionate person, and it went too far. This goes right along with another trait that gets labeled as codependent. Doing more than your fair share of the work. I am certainly a hard worker. I don't mind going beyond what might be a reasonable amount of work. And in a healthy relationship, this is not a problem. 
I might be willing to do more than my share of the work on one given day, but so is my partner. And so some days maybe I carry a little extra, but other days my partner does. No one keeps score. No one judges the other person. It's just that sometimes I've got his back and sometimes he has mine. That's it. But when you're with a covert narcissist, they simply expect you to do more than a reasonable amount of work all the time. In fact, they will happily sit back and watch you do it. And then when you've done or are in the middle of doing all of this extra work, they will find reasons to be unhappy about it. They will jump on you for things that are not up to their standards, whatever that might be. And it's all your fault that things aren't perfect. So your desire to be a good worker merges with your ability to self-reflect and your your desire to self-improve. And so you dig in to get better and they won't even lift a finger to help you. So again, another good trait or even two good traits get used against you. You know, it's not a bad thing to be willing to forgive others, to give people, you know, the benefit of the doubt, to be able to overlook the faults of others. These are not bad things, but boy, they sure are when you're with a covert narcissist. You know, when you're willing to give people the benefit of the doubt and overlook, you know, faults that they, that they may have or things that they maybe could have done better, you're giving people the space to be human. This is not a bad thing. Our world needs more of it. As a victim of covert narcissistic abuse, that right to be human was taken away from you. You weren't allowed to have faults and weaknesses. Anything less than their view of perfect, whatever that meant, is used against you. You weren't even allowed to have needs or desires or opinions. You know, I wasn't allowed to accidentally say something wrong or less than perfect. Something that that he could possibly interpret as hurtful to him, he definitely would take it that way. And, and anything that I did or said that, that came out that way, whether I meant it or not, didn't matter. It instantly led to a circular conversation from hell. And he would always loop back to, well, you said this though. It didn't matter that maybe it didn't come out quite like I meant it. It didn't matter, you know, if I apologized and corrected myself and went, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way. It didn't matter that there are a thousand or more different ways to say something. Every word I said was judged and held against me. I wasn't given the space to be human. And when I would finally find a better way or a satisfactory way to say whatever it was, he would spurt out, well, why didn't you say it that way to begin with? Are you kidding me? Because I didn't think of it. We'd been married for how long? Can you not just this once give me the benefit of the doubt even once? Can you not assume, like, maybe, just maybe, that I'm not out to get you with every word that comes out of my mouth, and maybe I didn't actually mean it that way? No. No, they cannot give you the space to be human. I remember the day when I truly realized that for me to say, hey, I could have said that better, was simply okay. There was nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that. It is okay to have said something that maybe I could have said better. That was the day that I finally started getting off of my own back for all of the offenses that he had planted inside of me. So my willingness to give others the benefit of the doubt, that's not a bad thing. I will stand by that trait. It is a good trait. I choose to protect that 
in me. Our world needs it. There is nothing wrong with you for, for wanting to believe in the goodness of others. There's nothing wrong with you for wanting to give the benefit of the doubt, for wanting to help and care for the needs of other people. These are not bad things. It makes you a compassionate and caring person. How in the world did that ever become a bad thing? Our world needs that. However, you do need boundaries around it. You need to protect these good traits from the, the manipulative people in this world. Next week, we are going to explore setting boundaries for this very reason. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing.